Hey, it's, uh, it's really cool to have everybody here. It really, um, it's a blessing to see um, so many come out and, and just desire to hear God's word. Um, it's just crazy. There's just not a lot of places anymore where, uh, where people like really read the Bible, which is, which is weird. And it's, it's scary. And so to, to have um, that is, is, a, is a joy for me. And, and just thank you for being here. Uh, if you've been with us any length of time, you know that we're in a series called A Fresh Look at the Old Book. Uh, we are, um, even if you're not like a church person, even if you don't really identify as like a church person or a Christian, uh, the idea is here are some stories or at least some characters that maybe you've heard of uh, just kind of in the air around you. Um, it, we're, we're kind of a post-Christian culture, but it's not so far gone that we don't hear names like Noah and Abraham um, and Adam and Eve and stuff like that. And so um, maybe you're just, it, this is an opportunity to get to know some of these uh, people that figure large in the history of the church. And if you are somebody who's been uh, coming to church for a long time, the idea is to take a look at these texts in, in, in a surprising way, to see um, if God can't speak in a way that's, that's unfamiliar or shocking. Um, and I believe he can, because I do believe that the scriptures have an endless amount of truth in them. And so when we pay attention and we're really careful when we read them, uh, I think that those things start to pop out. Uh, today is how to rest in peace, uh, Genesis 23. Um, while we're going through this, as we're reading this text, you're not going to believe that this is actually about human contentment. That's not what you're going to think. You're going to think that it's about something entirely different. Uh, you're going to think it's about uh, buying a grave plot, and that is true, but that's only what's happening on the surface. And I think if we take a, a, a deeper look and we kind of peel away some of the layers of what's going on here, I really think this text answers the question, what is the first step towards contentment? Um, I think it's really, it, it really is an interesting way. It, it, it brings out something that, that human beings, I mean, if you're here and you're not, um, if you're not a, a longtime church person, it, you're here because someone dragged you, and I apologize, but I'm glad you're here, and I hope something great happens. Um, if you're here on your own volition, it's because, uh, you probably because you're searching for some kind of meaning in life. Um, you're searching, something's wrong. People don't go to church because they're happy. Uh, people start going to church because things are messed up. And that's a good thing. We're here to help. Um, and so you might actually have this kind of bouncing around in the back of your minds. So just let that sit. And, and as we go through the text, uh, just just bear with me and follow, and, 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 and we'll see that um, this is more than just um, a story about buying a grave. So um, read with me. This is uh, the Common English Bible translation. They did a great job, and it was so, such a long text, I didn't want to try to dust off my Hebrew and beat them. So this is what uh, the CEB says for Genesis 23. Sarah lived, Sarah, this is Abraham's wife, Lived to be 127 years old. This was how long she lived. Abraham's going to outlive her about 30, 35 years. Uh, she died in Kiriath Arba, that is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham cried out in grief and wept for Sarah. After he got up from embracing his deceased wife, he spoke with the Hittites. It's a surrounding tribe, the people who run the area that he lives in or is temporarily in. He says, I am an immigrant and a temporary resident with you, a resident alien. Give me some property for a burial plot among you so that I can bury my deceased wife near me. The Hittites responded to Abraham, Listen to us, sir. You are an eminent man of God among us. Bury your dead in one of your own select, in one of our own select burial sites. None of us will keep our own burial plots from you to bury your dead. Abraham rose, bowed to the local citizens of the Hittites, and spoke with them. If you, if you yourselves allow me to bury my dead near me, 
like kind of close to where I'm, I'm, I'm putting up shop, listen to me and ask Ephron, Zohar's son, to give me his own cave in Machpelah, at the edge of his field. Let him give it to me for the full price, witnessed by you as my own burial property. Now, Ephron was a native Hittite. So Ephron the Hittite responded to Abraham publicly in order that the Hittites and everyone at his city's gate could hear. No, sir, listen, I'll give you the field, and I'll give you the cave that's on it. In front of my people's witnesses, I will give it to you. Bury your dead. Abraham bowed before the local citizens and spoke to Ephron publicly in the presence of everyone. If only you would accept my offer, I'll give you the price of the field. Take it from me so that I can bury my dead there. Ephron responded to Abraham, Sir, what is 400 shekels of silver between me and you for the land so that you can bury your dead? Abraham accepted Ephron's offer, weighed out for Ephron the silver he requested publicly before the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver at the current rate of exchange. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah near Mamre, the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the field's boundaries was officially transferred to Abraham as his property in the presence of the Hittites and of everyone at his city's gate. After this, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave in it were officially transferred from the Hittites to Abraham as his burial property. If you've been with us, it's kind of a letdown text. I mean, all of our texts so far have been about sex and violence. And now, suddenly, we're just, I mean, it's just a burial. It's a, I mean, it's a sad text. Abraham um, has to, to bury his wife. Um, and you can see the, the feeling he has for her. He's been with her for so long. We learned last week they're actually um, uh, half-siblings. Uh, but they've been married for many, many years. And um, they've gone through everything together. He's, he's lived a life. And if we can go back and highlight a few of the things in the text. Um, he's lived his whole life as, a, as a, an immigrant and a temporary resident, a resident alien. He's been going around from place to place to place to place. And we've met some of the people that he's lived among. Uh, the Philistines last week. Uh, this week, the Hittites. Uh, we skipped over people like the Egyptians. Everywhere, Abraham's gone all the way around the land. It's called Canaan, the land of Canaan. And, and at this particular time when his wife dies, he's, uh, he's in Hebron, which is about, um, as the crow flies, probably about 25 miles south of Jerusalem. If you're driving there from Jerusalem in present day Israel, it's going to take you about 50 miles. Um, so it's actually pretty close. Um, and we actually kind of know, I'll, t- I'll tell you a little more about this, we know kind of exactly almost where uh, this is happening. But Abraham comes to a place in his life where uh, he, he's got to figure out what to do for, for burial. Um, and so he's got he's to bury his deceased wife. This is um, probably not super exciting for us um, in Southern California. Um, every, who here is planning to just be cremated? Have you thought about it? I mean, right? And then the, the cool thing to do in, in Orange County is like, oh, just spread my ashes over the water, you know? Uh, just like from a, from, a, from a cliff, and I'll just float away in the oceans. Um, yeah, okay, that's cool. Uh, that's not kind of, do I, do I have that, or do we want to go on the text? Yeah, right there. So that's, that's kind of our thing. Uh, when I was in school, um, there, there was, uh, in North Carolina, there was a, a, a graveyard really close to my school, and I used to go there to, uh, to read and to listen to music. It was amazing, because I'm from uh, Orange County. Very few of us in Orange County grew up here, uh, but I did, and so I'm one of, the, one of these people that kind of grew up in, in, in Southern California, it, and so we have no sense of history. 
right, in Southern California. In fact, 50 years ago, this place was, I mean, it was nothing. It was all just, it was, there was nothing here. There was like lions. Did you know we had, used to have lions up where Irvine is? And if you live in Irvine, you're literally in like what used to be a jungle. Um, it was some kind of animal preserve. Um, and and we, we, uh, we, we don't have a lot of sense of history or roots. When I was in school, I, was, I would hang out at this graveyard, which is a weird thing to do, but it was very peaceful. And, uh, and I would look at these graves, and, and, and there was the guy whose who, who's, his last name was the name for which our town had been named. And he had died in the 1700s. Right, uh, Major John Davidson, and uh, and and below, like near him, were his kids, and his uh, his son and his son's wife. Uh, they had died in the 1800s, and their their infant daughter had died when she was three years old or two years old. And I remember looking at that, being like, "Wow!" And this sense that the land is something that's deep; it's rooted in you. In the South, they have that. Um, in in many other cultures, they have that. We've lost that here. Um, we expect to be kind of transient. Right? We expect to be kind of moving around. That's why we don't really care. We just, uh, just spread the ashes. I mean, it's not, like, it's not like I really have roots here. And then honestly, do I really want to spend the $50,000 it's going to cost me to get this much land here in, in Orange County? No, I don't. Um, and so we, we actually are very similar to Abraham in this, in this, in this way. Abraham, like us, uh, is transient. He does not expect to, to put down roots and to have some deep connection to the land. He knows he's moving around all the time. And so it's a little strange, it's a little weird that he um, would, would want to have a, a, a burial plot. If anything, if, it, if there's any place to, to bury his wife, it would be where he's from. He grew up in a place called Ur. It would, be, it would make sense to go back there where his parents and her parents, <laughs> in, the, in the case of the father, the same parent, um, are, are buried. And, and, and to go and be a part of the family plot to, to put down roots, right? So it's already, it's a little weird. Just, uh, just keep that in the back of your head as we, um, as we go on uh, in the text. The Hittites responded to Abraham. You're an eminent man of God, literally in Hebrew. You're, a, you're the greatest man, which uh, in, implicates God's great translation. Um, we're going to give you one of our own spots. These people are really nice, the Hittites. Uh, at least they sound that way. Um, and Abraham's a very polite guy, too. You'll notice a lot of bowing. Uh, a lot of bowing, a lot of, hey, we're going to give you whatever you want. And uh, Abraham's already got a spot he's thinking about, Machpelah, at the edge of his field. We know where Machpelah is. Uh, I have a couple pictures of it. Yes. Right now there's a castle built on top of it. I want you to think about this. Um, this story is taking place about 4,500 years ago-ish. Uh, we're not exactly sure. Um, and Abraham goes and he, he buys this plot. And what's interesting is that, is that uh, the, the people in the area and, and the, the Hebrew people, when they took over, they kept track of where this place is, right? And, and, and we actually we know that uh, Herod the Great, he actually um, rebuilt uh, 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 on top of the plot. Um, he had, they'd kept track of it for, at that point, about 1,500 years. And Herod the Great did some stuff. And then, um, and then over time, uh, at, at a certain point, the Christians kind of took over for a while, and they added a few things. And sort of every time uh, somebody took over this land, they would just keep building on top of, you know, Abraham and Sarah's burial plot to the point that um, that, that castle was built by um, our Muslim friends. Uh, they, they look at Abraham as one of their, their fathers, too. And so they wanted to honor his spot. You can actually go today, and you can visit the place where Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, they're all buried. For 4,500 years, this uh, place has been preserved. I mean, we're not 100% sure, but we're, it's, as, far as, as far as burial plots go, this is 
we got some pretty good solid archaeological evidence that this is, this is there. So if you ever get to visit Jerusalem, you should go and check it out. But before you do, make sure that no one's killing each other because this place has been hotly contested uh, ever since the, uh, the Jewish state was reinstated in Israel. Many, many people have died uh, to try and take control of this spot because um, the Muslims and the Jews and the Christians, both they all three hold this very, um, very important. And so there's been quite a bit of, of violence around it. If I go back to the text, you're like, wait, human contentment? What? Really? <laughs> so Ephron the Hittite responded to Abraham publicly in order that the Hittites and everyone in his city's gate could hear, no, I'll give you the fields. I'll give you the cave. In front of everyone is my witness. I'll give you the cave. Bury your dead. This sounds like these people are really, really nice uh, to each other. That's actually not the case. Um, this is actually a, a very standard um, process of, of, of haggling between, uh, the, the, between Abraham and the Hittites. Even though it sounds polite to our ears, they're actually haggling. Uh, in fact, so you keep hearing that, that phrase, bury your dead, bury your dead, bury your dead. That's a very important thing to ancient peoples. Every time Ephron and the Hittites say, bury your dead, they're like, this is really valuable to you, right? Like, you don't want... You know, the, this isn't something you can just skip over, okay? This is real important, so it really matters, right, Abraham? Abraham's like, yep, it sure does. Uh, and, and then Ephron's like, I'm going to give you the plot. And Abraham's like, thanks, but I actually I'd like to pay you for it. He's like, oh, stop. Would you really? Um, <laughs> in fact, some of the, the archaeologists who really started unearthing a lot of these sites uh, in the 40s and 50s, really even earlier, they, um, they noticed, they, they mentioned how uh, when they would go into town, uh, the people in the local area, the native peoples, um, actually still talk like this. And so there's a story of an archaeologist who goes to buy a horse from a, a, a local person. He's like, uh, I'd like to buy this horse. The guy's like, you take it, brother. Of course. He's like, oh, okay. So he starts to take it, and the guy's like, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Because in an honor-shame culture, you would never actually do that. But, but this guy, was, he was British, and so he just thought he would, oh, thanks. And so, and so the guy's like, uh, and so he notices the guy is, is, is really up, uptight. And so he's like, um, are you sure you don't want me to pay for it? He's like, oh, stop. What's, I don't know, $3,000 between friends, right? He's like, oh, okay, here's $3,000, I guess. I mean, he's funded by a university. He doesn't care about money, so he just throws it away. So the, 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 so he, and that's how, that's how haggling actually works, right? Um, and, and so the, there's not, it's not like the, Hitt, the Hittites do respect Abraham. They like him. They wouldn't bargain with him if they didn't. But they're still not like this. This isn't as happy as it sort of sounds. Uh, going on in the text, this is awesome. Abraham bows for the local citizens. No, notice. This is all taking place in public, right? Everybody who's important in the Hittite village is there to watch this. So it's like a, it's a big public thing. And uh, Abraham's like, I really want to really buy this off of you. And so um, Ephron is like, uh, what's 400 shekels of silver between friends? Now, if you're, um, if you're from the Middle East or you know people who are from the Middle East and you know that people in the Middle East love to bargain, they love to, like, kind of move back and forth, up and down. I mean, and if you know anything about bargaining, bargaining makes me very uncomfortable. Uh, I remember back in the day um, before AutoTrader app, do you remember trying to buy a car? It was like, it was living hell. Um, 
And no offense to the people here in this congregation who sell cars. But man, I used to hate, I used to hate, like, I remember my parents would be like sweating bullets. You go there, it's an eight-hour procedure where the guy's like, oh, that's a nice Dodge Caravan. You sure would, way to take care of the kids. And my dad's like, oh, what are you asking for it? He's like, ah, what's the 50,000? It's like, oh, jeez. And people are taking cigarette breaks and like, and the manager comes in and he goes out and everyone, <laughs> everyone's like really frustrated and angry. And by the time you get the car, you're feeling really bad about it. You're like, did I just get ripped off? I mean, it's horrible. Now, the Auto Trader app, oh, man. We just got a, 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 a minivan um, because I've given up all hope. And, uh, and so what was cool, though, uh, we <laughs> I looked on the Auto Trader, and I just kept looking for months. And finally, this crazy price comes up. So I call up Huntington Beach Dodge, and I'm like, is this for real? He's like, is it on the website? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, it's for real. I'm like, Okay, so I go down, an hour later, we're driving off with a new car. I was like, what just happened? Thanks, capitalism, this is great. Yeah, so what's going on here is Efron, he's given his opening, his opening bid, right? And so he's going way, way high, way high. Uh, to give you an example of what 400 shekels would buy you, uh, a few, some years later, uh, David, uh, the King David, pays 50 shekels for the place where the temple now stands in Jerusalem, okay? A much larger area in a much more desirable place, and he paid 50. So, so Abraham's paying eight times what David paid to get the land for the temple, and uh, he's doing it in kind of a podunk area in, uh, in, in, in Nowheresville. He's getting ripped off. Big time! Ephron doesn't expect him to agree to this. He's like, hey, what's 400 shekels of silver? <coughs> between friends. And Abraham's like, all right. Abraham accepted Ephron's offer and weighed out for Ephron the silver he requested publicly before the Hittites. Publicly. Everybody's there. 400 shekels of silver at the current rate of exchange. What that means is Abraham weighs out his version of 400 shekels, and he hands it over to the Hittites, and then they check it. And they're like, oh, it's a little short. That's like 398. So Abraham's like, here's two more for your trouble. Like, okay, that's it. We all agree that this is an exorbitant sum of money. <laughs> totally ridiculous. Uh, okay. And then what happens? The land is officially transferred. What's the deal, right? Like, what? <laughs> First off, Abraham, you don't even live here. You're a resident alien, um, and now you're spending a king's ransom for a plot of land in the middle of nowhere. What, what are you thinking? What kind of, why is this so, what is, is, look, I'm not knocking Sarah, okay? Is Sarah super important? Yes. But Abraham could have done a lot better for himself in finding a place to bury his wife. Why did this go on? Why did this happen? That officially transferred. What that means is that Abraham's paid so much money that the Hittites are going to start talking about this forever, Right? They're going to be talking about it, and there's never going to be a question that this is Abraham's plot. That, that, that sucker spent so much money, fine, he can have it. Um, and, and, and over time, the Hittites who are alive now, their, their children and their children's children and children's children, all throughout the generations, they're going to look at that plot and they're going to be like, that's Abraham's plot. That's his deal. It's not ours. He paid so much for it, it's going to be, it's going to be legendary. Why is that important? Well, you know, we have like I don't know, deeds of purchase. I don't own a house, but I'm assuming some people here um, 
do, and I think you get like a thing that says you own this. You like sign your name, there's a lawyer there and a realtor, and if someone tries to take it from you, you we have law courts, and we have you know, police who can settle things um, to decide who owns what. That's not the deal in the ancient world. Especially if you're like Abraham, you're a resident alien, you have no power. And the worry that he has is maybe after he's gone, some Hittite, maybe Ephron's kid or grandkids, is going to come back and be like, ah, I want that back. What Abraham's doing is he's setting it up so crazy. He's doing so much that no one will ever doubt that this is his land. And no, long, no matter how long it takes, the Hittites are always going to leave it to him. And uh, he knows that he's going to have to leave. And when he's gone, he doesn't want them to steal you know, the, the place back. He wants to make sure that when he dies, he can be buried there. His kids can be buried there. He wants a permanent plot of land. This is your note sheets. A permanent plot of land, even though he knows he's going to have to leave. He wants to make sure no one steals his stuff. Going on in the text. After this, Abraham buried his wife in Machpelah near Mamre, Hebron, the land of Canaan. If you're wondering, you know, there's these few things that are kind of hanging out there. Why is Abraham doing this? This doesn't seem to make sense. Um, we get, okay, he wants to make sure no one steals it. That's why he pays so much. But why is he doing this in the first place? The answer is in that word Canaan. If you've been following Abraham's story, you know that Abraham, uh, when he was a much younger man, talked to God, or God talked to him. And God said, he kind of showed him all of the lands that's in Canaan, from the north to the south, what we kind of think of as modern-day Palestine, and roughly contem- uh, contemporaneous uh, Israel looking at all of that land, and he says, Abraham, I'm giving this to you. This is yours now. And so Abraham then spends the rest of his life wandering around this land, from north to south, east to west, always oppressed on every side by Philistines and Hittites and Amalekites and these kites and those kites, and everybody, everyone's an ite out there, and, and they're always stronger than him. They always have more than he does. And they're always waiting. They're always waiting for him to slip up so they can smack him out. And Abraham's looking around his entire life, and he's like, this is mine? That's a very strange definition of mine, God. God promised him a second thing. He said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. All of his life, Abraham's going around and around and around. He has no son, has no descendants. God says, I'm giving you the land. I'm giving you a son. Abraham's like, really, are you? And we saw, we saw just a few weeks ago that God comes through on that first promise and does so in a crazy way. It's when uh, Abraham's super old and his wife is past menstruation. And so the fact that it happens is mind-boggling to Abraham. What happens? Abraham, when he receives the promise of his son, recognizes something. If God is really going to give me this kid, then at some point he's going to give me the land too. Abraham's sort of putting a down payment on God's promise. He's saying Canaan really is going to be the land where my people live for all time. 4,500 years from now, this burial plot will stand. It seems impossible, but if God can get me a kid, then maybe he can give my children this land too. And he puts a king's ransom, puts the, the body of his wife up 
as sort of a collateral on this promise. But, I mean, he, he's saying this, God's going to be faithful to us. No one's going to destroy this. No one's going to steal it from us. Someday, this is going to be ours, and it's going to be ours forever. The next thing in your note sheets is that, is that this is an act of radical faith. Abraham trusts God's promise that Canaan will be give, the land given to his descendants. He has no reason to think this is true, except that God gave him a son, and God said it. And Abraham is at the point in his life where he's like, you know what, if God says it, I believe it, that settles it. Okay. Neat. So what? Well, to show you why this is important, to, to kind of give you a sense of what this actually means for us now, I'd like you to, to think about the kind of way that Abraham sees the world, okay? And in order to illustrate it, I'm going to show you the exact opposite. So there's the way Abraham sees the world, and then there's the way that, uh, that somebody else sees the world. So I got Protagoras, your favorite 5th century uh, sophist, um, philosopher. He's credited with the, uh, the term, man is the measure of all things. You've heard this, man is the measure of all things. Man is the measure of all things was the very first time that somebody in history, recorded history, at least in the West, said that really the only thing that matters is what humans say matters. Humanity is at the center of all things. Everything else doesn't matter. If it's not something that humans care about, meh, doesn't matter. Uh, He was laughed at by Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. But his words were preserved. About a thousand years later, in uh, 1300s, 1350, um, in Italy, a man named Petrarch climbed up that mountain, um, this mountain up here, Mount uh, Ventoux, uh, and he wrote a poem or letter, kind of letter slash poem about it. And in the, in, the, in the poem, he says, the reason I climbed this mountain is because it made me happy. I didn't do it for the gods or God. I didn't do it because of an obligation. I didn't do it for any reason, except I felt like going for a constitutional. And that's good. The most important thing is what human beings do for themselves. That was in the 1350s in the Renaissance. Uh, that sort of thinking uh, led to uh, the Enlightenment, Enlightenment humanism, which we are now uh, the beneficiaries of. And today... Even though he was scoffed at then, Protagoras' view that man is the measure of all things is so deeply assumed by every single person here that we have to be reminded of it constantly to recognize how false and terrible it is. Is that true? Yes, yes, it's true. For example, say something big happens in your life, right? How do you describe that? You say, I'm opening up a new chapter in my life. Think about that language. I'm opening up a new chapter. Well, it's like you've got this book, right? It's a novel. And you're the main character. Uh, the whole book is about you, and, and you've sort of been doing your thing, and, and, and something tremendous has happened, and so a whole new chapter of your, of your story is being, is being opened up. You can't get away from this. Uh, every single movie, everything you see on TV, everything you read is, is in reinforcing this constantly. If you think about why you send your kids to do anything... Uh, you send them to, what do, what do we send you? My kids play soccer. Uh, and, and, and it's horrible to watch. But they, they play soccer. Why are we sending them to play soccer? 
well, because we need that we don't know what um, they're going to flourish in, um, but we want to make sure that they have as many opportunities as possible to find themselves, to see what fulfills them, and, and, and so that they can have the greatest possible story of their lives. People ask why you do what you do. You say, wow, I'm just, my work is so meaningful. Um, for those of you who are able to say that, I get to say this, and it's, it's a wonderful thing, it's beautiful, um, and it's awesome. But, but the assumption is, is that you don't work to eat, you work to feel good. You work to, 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 to have a new chapter in your story, a meaningful chapter in your story, something that's valuable and interesting. It's all about you. There's been a lot of value in this. I mean, we wouldn't have the sciences that we have. We wouldn't have um, the comforts that we have. Uh, we would probably be uh, something more along the lines of the lives of our, of our friends in Haiti that we heard about earlier today um, because they haven't made the, the, uh, the experience of a human being the center of all life. They haven't done that, and so they haven't um, enjoyed a lot of the benefits because when you're always worried about what's making me happy and giving me joy, giving me satisfaction, well, then you start to try to fix all the problems that we have, right? You try to get rid of all the stuff. And so at a certain point, you know, you're living a life like we do. And it's taken, what, 700 years since Petrarch to get to where we are. Um, but it's been working pretty well, more or less. And yet, I want you to think about man is the measure of all things. That's the assumption that we bring to everything. What is the assumption that Abraham brings. And what does his action of buying this cave show? Abraham has been sitting around here living his whole life uh, on one promise after another. And at a certain point, he gets to a place and he realizes, this isn't my story at all. God, you chose me to somehow bless the whole world through my descendants. You've chosen me. You've given me these things. You're, you have some crazy plan that I can only see a small fraction of. I've seen that small fraction, and I know that But what, what is going on, with, what, what matters is what you're up to. And cr- it's crazy that I'm a part of it, but now that I am, I'm going to live in light of that. It's your story that matters. You're the one who's decided that you're going to use me and you're going to do this, and I'm not going to live to see the day that we will have this land, but I know you're going to do it. And I don't even understand how having this land is going to heal all the world's problems. It doesn't make any sense. But I'm trusting you. I'm living as though that's the case. And so I'm willing to put up a king's ransom. I'm willing to give up the body of my wife in faith that you will actually be faithful, continue your story, keep doing what you're up to. God, it's your story, not mine. Everything that my life has been about, I'm like, I'm like one of the extra char- characters in your story. And your story is the one that matters. The next thing in uh, your note sheets is you're part of his story, not the other way around. We are a part of God's story, not the other way around. And it is so hard for us to believe this. It's so hard for this to penetrate our hearts. I promised you, I said, I said, this text is about contentment. What's the first step to human contentment? What's the first step to resting in peace? And Abraham's answer to that question is like, 
it's not about me. It's about me being a part of what God's up to. In that, I find my meaning. That's where I belong. I belong. I'm settled. I'm comfortable. I'm, it's right for me to be a part of what he's up to, even though I can't see it all, even though I don't understand it, even though sometimes it's crazy and weird and bizarre, but that's where meaning comes from. That's where life comes from, and that's ultimately how he can rest, knowing that he's burying his wife in the middle of a foreign land. He knows that he'll be with her. He knows that his children will be with her. And he knows that 4,500 years later, we're still going to be able to visit the spot where he's laid to rest. I think um, what we need to take away from this is we need to take away a way that we can reorient today our minds and thoughts to get out of this is my story and I'm the awesome protagonist and this is actually God's story and I'm playing a part. If you're um, a person here today who does not uh, necessarily identify as a Christian or you're kind of on the the outskirts of that um, and, well, you know, you're here because you need to make sense of your life. You need to have meaning in your life. Maybe you've, you've been part of the church, but you've kind of wandered away. Um, it just didn't do anything for you. Um, but whatever the case, uh, don't I have a picture of this guy? Yeah. You're like sitting there being like, what is going on? I'll tell you what's going on. We actually have the rest of the story. Abraham dies his descendants become slaves and they're liberated. They eventually take and conquer the land and they mess up, blah, blah, blah. At a certain point, God sends Jesus, his son, to do what Abraham's people couldn't and that is live the way that God wants us to live and then to pay for our sins, to fix us, to change us. You came in here, you're like, you're like oh, man, I want to know what life's about. Wrong. The place that you, what you question you need to be is like, what's God up to? And the first thing is he's trying to fix you. You're broken. He's trying to heal you. He's trying to save you. He's trying to forgive you. You're corrupted. You're twisted. If you don't believe that, you're not paying attention. And, and, and what God is saying, he's saying, I'm giving you my son to wipe away the, the slate. Blank slate, all clean. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to give you my spirit. And then you're going to start participating in what I've got to offer. If you are a person here today and you're only marginally connected to faith, the first thing you need to know is that God wants you to be a part of his story and in order to do it, you have to trust his son, Jesus. You need to trust Jesus to forgive you. You need to trust Jesus to heal you. You need to trust Jesus to put you on God's team. And if that's you, I'm going to pray uh, for you in a minute and I ask you to pray with me. Affirm this, that this is what you want. Let me know. Because God has a big story and you should be a part of it. That's where your peace is. We don't have, how many millennials do we have today? I'm a millennial. Aaron, you're a millennial. What? Yeah, you're millennials. Put your hand up. Come on. Katie, yes, just slipped in. Married to that ancient Gen X guy. Millennials, we, uh, we look like this guy. We assume that, um, we assume that, like, you know, the way to have happiness in this life is to just have tons and tons of choices. It's like, it's like we want to be free, man, and the world is our oyster, 
man. And all we got to do is just like, just, just breeze on through and just see what life has for us, man. <laughs> First, that's stupid. <laughs> and second, um, it's a lie. And I, I feel like I can say this because... I did that. I literally did. I was like, ah, what am I going to do? I don't know. I'll go live in a foreign country. Just have no responsibility. I just rack up student loan debt. We've got like trillions now, by the way. I don't know how we're going to pay for that. Not, not me personally, but us millennials. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I feel like I can, I can honestly say, like, if you, if you keep looking for meaning in experiences and you keep looking for meaning um, going out, doing this, that, and the other thing, uh, you'll, you have these great mountaintop experiences. You ascend the mountain and you look out and it's wonderful. Uh, for me, it was like, oh, this is a beautiful Japanese waterfall. I'm so awesome that I get to see this right now. And then like the next day, you're like, eh, but I'm still alone. You know? And ultimately, these experiences, they're fleeting. And what really is, is frustrating is that you actually start to get addicted to them. And then the, the, the return on investment's very low. So, like, you get these experiences, but it's actually not as good the next time, the next time, the next time. Sort of like being an addict. And what, what God is calling you millennials uh, to right now is, to, is us, calling us millennials to right now, is to say, stop looking inside for your hope. Fix yourself into my story. It might lead you to do things that ever, all of your peers think are stupid. But at least you will be at peace. Gen Xers, Gen Xers and above, uh, we got you, we got a couple pictures for you. That's awesome, I like that. That's funny. Um... The, the hard thing is, like, people are like, oh, yeah, Tom, I totally want to be all about God's story. I have uh, bills to pay. Um, we, I, I, I said last week or two weeks ago, I was complaining about SDG&E. Those jerks are taking out a ridiculous amount of money in, like, a week. I'm, like, bracing myself to see my bank account fall apart. And so I'm like, I'm like oh, yeah, yeah, I totally want to be a part of God's story. But, uh, dude, look around. We're, we're in crazy town. Like, oh my gosh, How, we're, we're barely able to eat. We can't, we can barely make ends meet. We're falling apart. And then we're at work and everyone's yelling at us. We're harassed. It's just, life is really, really, really tough. Uh, there's, there's, I think in, in that kind of middle age area, if you're trying to be a part of God's story, you have to walk a balancing act. On the one hand, dude, you got to make sure that you get your sleep <laughs> and you got to make sure that you eat and you got to take care of the kids. Um, and at the same time, you do have to really try to continue to grow and flourish and thrive in whatever your, your work is. Those are all valuable things. But you have to do all of that, all of that, in light of the fact that this stuff's all nonsense. It's going away. It cannot be, your, your meaning in life cannot be, I'm a senior vice president of a thing. Like, oh, are you? Do you remember the name of the guy who was a senior vice president before you? Nope. You think anyone's going to remember you after you're gone? Nope. And yeah, I can afford really a lot of opportunities, and I'm all for that, but what are those opportunities for? So you don't want to, like, just, like, the alternate is like, ah, forget it. I quit. You know, and we all think about doing this. We're like, for, for us in Orange County, when we, when we quit, that's like, 
That's it. We're moving to Texas. That's it. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this place, man. <clears throat> Did you know that in Texas you can have like a 3,000 square foot brand new house for $150,000? Did you know that? Yeah, I know. I got it. It's like, the, it's like the, 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 the grass is greener, man. You get to Texas and things will be fine. You'll be baking, but, but at least you'll have a really big house. <laughs> uh, so you don't want to like, you don't... <laughs> You don't want to. You don't want to quit. You don't want to like check out and be like, "That's it. I can't deal with this anymore. I give up," because um, that can actually ruin a lot of people's lives because they're depending on you uh, in one way or another. But at the same time, you have to have perspective that, like, you know, we we're we're not we're not dying yet for the most part. You know, if you're in that kind of middle age, you're like, you still feel I got oh, my best years are still ahead of me. They're not, but you tell yourself that, and 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 you're like, oh, I can. T-. You don't, no, dude. There's you're headed in one direction. Don't forget that, and like, so keep it balanced. Last but not least, this is what I want to look like <laughs> when I'm a coaster. <laughs> Coasters at Coast Bible Church are those who are 55 and above. When I'm 55 and above, I'm like, hey, hundreds of dollars. Um, so if you're, if you're, um, if you're older, and, and we do have uh, many blessed saints here who are really at that point in life where you're starting to, you know, your friends are passing, they have been passing, and you know that it really is, it's, you're, not, you're not guaranteed anything, and that um, life doesn't last forever. You gotta buy a cave somewhere. <laughs> That's like the way to bury your. Di- no, I'm just kidding. It has nothing to do with it. No, what you need to do is, uh, in a way, though. I mean, like metaphorically speaking, um, what, kind of what what Abraham's doing is he's saying, God, I am putting my resources and my faith um, into your story. I believe that you're going to keep doing what you do, and you're going to do all these things, and I want to be a part of that. And so he's like, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to buy this cave and this land that you promised me that I'm never going to own. I'm never going to have this land. I'm not going to see it. My children aren't going to see it. My grandkids aren't going to see it. But at some point, you're, they're going to see it. And I want, I want to be a part of that. I want to participate in that. I want to invest in that. Uh, if, you're, if you're in that coaster stage, you're getting close to it, this is your opportunity to really spend time investing in a future that, yeah, honestly, you, you may not see. But God will. And in the resurrection, you will get to see, say, I was a part of God's story even after, even after I was gone. Because I put down roots and I made investments that ultimately paid off for the kingdom. If you want to rest in peace, you got to understand that you're not, that you're in his story, that he's not in yours. You're in his story, not the other way around. Let's pray. Gracious God, we um, come before you as people who are, are just saturated with a sense of, of ourselves and how um, all is about us and our desires and our needs. God, I pray for anyone here who's searching for meaning um, and who hasn't found it in you yet. God, I pray um, that you will stir your spirit up, and I pray on their behalf, God, please come open the eyes of faith in my heart. Show me how to trust in Jesus for life, for forgiveness, for change, for transformation. 
God, I want to be a part of your story, and I trust that by believing in Jesus, you're making me a part of your story. God, for um, those who, who believe uh, that we're part of your story and yet uh, keep getting our eyes pulled away, Father, I just ask for um, a special measure of your spirit, a sense, um, a, a remembrance of the, the, the passion of your son, the way that he was fully about your business and not his own. I pray that you will well that up in us, that we will desire over and over to be investing and participating and living in your story and not ours. God, we trust that you're good, and we thank you for the gift of your scriptures, the truth that they have, and the hope that you put in our hearts for eternity. In Jesus' name, by whom all is made possible, we pray. Amen.